So as has been mentioned, today we're going to spend some time talking about the church. In the context of our our study through Romans, we're going to talk about the church. And there's the church, uh, if you're familiar with, the church worldwide, sort of defined as uh, all of those who've trusted in Jesus Christ, given their lives to Christ, who've become part of his, we use metaphors, the Bible uses metaphors, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Join together with Christ. And then there's the, the local expression of that worldwide church. And there's lots of those. There's, I don't know how many, thousands, millions of churches, local churches in our world. And so what we'll talk about is mainly that local expression, where we're at, and uh, thinking in particular of our church, uh, Bridges Church here in Riverside. So that's what we're going to be thinking about. In the introduction to his book, uh, Spiritual, Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church, Donald Whitney writes, the church is a community in which Christians are to live and experience much of their Christianity. Too many believers isolate themselves from life with the family of God, deceived by the notion that me and Jesus are all they need in order to be all that God wants them to become and to savor all that he has for them. Such individualization of the faith hurts the church. What too few see is that anything that hurts the church eventually hurts them as an individual, as individual Christians. In this book uh, that Whitney's written, he argues that every believer should be actively involved in a, a local church. That being involved in a local church is, is foundational to our spiritual growth. That it's in and and through the church that we fulfill God's plan for our lives. That being involved in a a local church is for our good and for God's glory. But it seems, it seems that in our day and age, uh, with so much competing for our time and our energy and our resources, that church, and by church I certainly mean uh, as we're talking about the local church, I certainly mean Sunday morning corporate worship as we, we all come together, but I mean more than that. I mean being with and being part of the lives of our fellow believers, fellowshipping together, worshiping together, praying together, studying God's Word together, ministering to our community, our world together. It seems that these things, that, that church who the church is, what the church does, has become for many uh, Christians sort of this optional fill-in. We attend church service or church events. We might even join a small group, volunteer to help with some ministry. But all of these church things can, can easily be crowded out by our tiredness or busyness or, or quote-unquote more important things in our lives. It seems that we've lost this biblical value of truly being a part of a church, of living out our Christian lives as part of, uh, as members of the body of Christ. And you know, part of that, I think, is the church's fault. Because we mainly focus on our personal spiritual growth, which is important. We, uh, most sermons address you as a, a, a personal 
your, your individual faith. Most songs, I was, uh, as we were singing, I was substituting we's and, and us's for I and my. And I go, that works too, you know? But we, we often preach about and we sing about us and God, us and God. And we, and we forget that there's a context for that. We neglect the importance of the church in the life of a believer. Maybe we're familiar with Hebrews 10, 25. Uh, not neglecting to meet together as this is the habit of some. But that seems to be the extent of our biblical understanding of, of church involvement. Uh, we should meet together. That's all we need to know, right? But the New Testament paints, uh, I think, a much broader picture of church life. So, so this morning, as we continue our journey through the book of Romans, going kind of slow here, just get off. Beginning, Roman, we, two weeks, seven verses, now we're to verse eight. We're going to look at Paul's heart for the church. And I think uh, it's my prayer that, that we not only see Paul's heart, but that, that God, through his word, causes our heart to grow. And that with enlarged hearts, that we as individuals and as a church will seek greater participation in the life and ministry of this local church here. For our good. I promise it's for your good. And it's for God's glory. Okay? You ready to to journey with me here? Now before we... Well, if you're ready, hold on one second. Before we get to verse 8... We need a, just a quick review. I like to give the, keep the context, keep us in the flow. In the first five verses, Paul, if you remember, uh, who'd never been to Rome, by the way, and that's going to be important here, he's planning to go, he wants to go. He introduces himself to them. He's a servant, he's an apostle, he's set apart for the gospel. He introduces his message to them, right? His message is uh, uh, to bring about the obedience of faith so that God will be glorified among the nations. The gospel of God, he calls it. And he introduces his mission to bring, a, uh, to bring about that obedience of faith to the nations. And then in, in verse 6 and 7, Paul describes, he describes his audience. And his audience is this local Roman church, this church in Rome. And, and really, though, it, it applies to us as well. It would apply to all Christians to all church members throughout history. He says, we're called by God to belong to Jesus Christ. And we're loved by God. And we're called by God to be saints. Those three things he says about it. So so he's introduced himself, his message, his mission. He's introduced, uh, described his audience, the church. And then in verses 8 through 15, Paul goes on to express why and and just how much, how deeply he wants to come to them. He wants to visit them. These verses, we really see Paul's heart for the church. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 12 this morning, 13 through 15 next week. Now look at verse 8. As Paul begins to tell the church of his heart for them, as he begins to tell them his, of his desire to visit, he first thanks God for the church. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Paul thanks God through Jesus Christ because it's through Christ that we're able to approach God. He's our, our mediator. And who is Paul thanking God for? For all of them. All of them is the church in Rome. Those who we saw last week, who I just talked about, the called to belong to Christ. 
Loved by God. Called to be saints. Paul's thankful to God for the church in Rome. And the first thing that should say to us about the church, the church in Rome, the church worldwide, Bridges Church, is that it belongs to God. We as individuals belong to God through Jesus Christ. And the church also belongs to God. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's not the the founding pastor's church. It's not a missionary's church. It's not my church. It's not the elder's church. It's not the members, the congregation's church. As Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, and he, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church. The church, including our church, belongs to Jesus Christ. He is our head the leader of our body. So, when we fail to be involved with His church, when we fail to be involved with the body of Christ, then we fail to be involved with Christ. The church isn't this optional organization for those who need it, although it is for those who need it. The church is a God-created organization for all who've trusted in Christ. We all have a part to play in the church because we are all members of the body of Christ. So Paul thanks God for God's church in Rome. Now notice uh, what Paul is specifically thankful for. He's thankful because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. And this to me, and I hope to you, implies three things that Paul is thankful for. Three things that are happening in that Roman church. First, he's thankful for their faith. Paul thanks God that there is a group of people in Rome, the church, who've put their faith in Jesus Christ. Notice Paul doesn't thank the people themselves, though. He doesn't thank the leaders of the church. Oh, Man, you guys are doing such a great job of creating faithful people. You have an awesome leadership development program in your church, Rome. He doesn't say, first of all, I'd like to thank you for your amazing faith, people. He thanks God for the church and for the faith of its members. Now, why is this important? Because when you thank someone for something, it means that they are responsible for what happened, for what you're thanking them for. Last Monday... uh, my daughter-in-law, is she here? Nope. She came over to our house. First, first of all, she went to the grocery store. She bought food. She brought it to our house. She cooked us a delicious meal. And after the meal, I turned to Christina and I said, thanks so much for this great meal. Well, that, No, I didn't. That's a lie. I'm not supposed to lie. I, that, that would have been stupid. I didn't thank Christina, I thanked Ashley. I turned to Ashley, thank you so much, this was awesome, thanks for doing this. Because she was responsible for the meal, she did the work. Michael helped a little bit. I think he cleaned, he did the dishes or something, anyway. And so the fact that Paul thanks God for the faith of the church in Rome implies that it's God who's responsible for their faith. God has worked in their lives to bring about faith. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, it's like implied, Uh, it's been granted to you by God, it's a gift of God that you're able to believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. We're not talking about suffering today or we'd go there. But the, the, the point is, it's been granted to you, it's a gift that you're able to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior has been granted to you. It's a gift from God. 
It's God who's responsible for your faith. It's God's church, and it's God who calls, calls us to faith to be a part of His church. So Paul thanks God for the faith of the church members in Rome. And the question is, maybe you didn't think of this, but the question is, how did he know they had faith? How did he know about their faith? It's, it's been uh, uh, proclaimed in the whole world, but why are they proclaiming this faith? Faith is this internal matter, isn't it? Faith is an act of the heart. Uh, when you have faith, it's an internal thing. Okay, I, I believe, I trust. It's, it's invisible. But Paul says that their faith is being proclaimed in all the world. And by all the world, he means the known world, the world he's traveling in. It seems that Paul, as he traveled and spoke to other believers, everyone was aware that the church in Rome was filled with people of faith. It, it's sort of, uh, if you don't know the history, so in Jerusalem, you remember Stephen, uh, the first martyr, and then this persecution in the church, I think it's Acts 8, sort of breaks out. It's believed that some fled Jerusalem. In fact, Scripture says all the believers fled except the apostles. And it's believed that's when the church in Rome, some fled to Rome and began a church there. So the church has been around 20 plus years now. This is, uh, this is 57-ish that Paul writes to Rome. And so they've grown and, and their faith is now known in all, all around the world. It seems that Paul traveled, he spoke. People said that, that, that church in Rome, it's full of people of faith. So how does something internal and invisible become well-known? The answer is that true faith produces something visible, right? Namely, uh, obedience to God. Those who trust in God obey God. Paul thanks God for the church's visible faith, uh, for their obedience. The faith of the church in Rome, like the faith of all believers, becomes visible through obedience to the Lord. You know the tree by its fruit. Oh, that's a, uh, there's some obedience. That's a faith. That's a faith tree. Faith without works is dead. Oh, there's some works going on there. There's some faith under there. A life of faith will produce a life of obedience. Now again, you might think Paul would pause and he would thank the church members. Again, the leaders, man, you've got this great discipleship program going there. They, they know how to obey Jesus, but he doesn't. He again, thank, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It's God's church and it's God's work in their lives, bringing about both faith and obedience. Later in, in Romans six seventeen, Paul writes, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Paul thanks God for those who were once slaves to sin, but now obey from the heart. Again, it's not a, it's not a duty-bound obedience. It's a heart-filled obedience. It's God who transforms our heart. It's God who moves us from slavery to sin. Can't do nothing but sin because I'm a slave to sin. To submission to Him. Paul wrote these powerful words to the church in Corinth. If anyone is in Christ He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's this transformation that God provides to those who put their God-given faith in Christ. When God's grace, when by God's grace we put our God-given faith in Christ, God enters our lives and He transforms our hearts. The old passes away. All things become new. And we then... And we then, for the first time, have the ability from God 
to obey God. We can now choose to obey. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have the, the choice and we know that in our lives. We choose to obey or we choose to disobey. And that's what's happening in the church in Rome. And they're choosing obedience more often than not, it seems. And their faith is being proclaimed. So Paul thanks God for giving the church in Rome faith that is seen through obedience. And there's one more thing that, it, that I think this verse implies. I know I'm doing a lot with this just one verse. Are we going to get to the other one? Yes. Uh, I think it also implies that Paul is thankful for their glorification of God. Maybe it's less of an implication and really stated here. Notice the main thing Paul is thankful for. It's that their faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, why is Paul so thankful for this? Think back to the introduction, if you were here two weeks ago. Verses 1 through 5. Specifically, Paul's introduction of his mission. What he was about. What was his mission? Starting at the end of verse 4, he wrote, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to, here's the mission, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul's mission was to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name, for the glory of Jesus Christ among the nations. And he, and he sees his mission as being accomplished in the church in Rome. And he's thankful. He knows his mission is God's mission. And, and therefore, God's mission is the church's mission. It's God's church. God granted the church in Rome the obedience of faith that is proclaimed in all the world. When God's people trust and obey the Lord, the world takes notice. And God receives the glory. The church in Rome was was really fulfilling Christ's command that He gave in Matthew 5.16. He said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And isn't that the kind of church we want to be? Isn't that kind of church we want to be a part of? A church that, that we and others can thank God for. Thank God for that church. A church that demonstrates the obedience of faith. A church that regularly chooses, seeks and chooses to obey God. A church whose light shines before others. A church that glorifies God among the the nations, among the peoples of the earth. Where they're at and, and out extended. But for that to happen, we must be a church full of of faithful people. Thanks them for their faith. Full of people who trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want us to understand is that, is that growth in our faith and growth in our obedience takes place as we come together as God's church dedicated to God's purposes. Living not for our glory, but for the glory of God. So Paul starts by thanking God for the church in Rome for their faith, for their obedience, that they're fulfilling the mission God has given him and them, that they are bringing glory to God. He just shares, man, I I love you guys. You're doing what God has called you to do. You're doing what God has called us all to do. I'm so thankful that God is using you and the faith He's given you. That's the kind of church we want to be. A church that God is, is using in our world. So, so then Paul continues. His heart for them. 
is large. But it continues. Uh, Second thing, Paul prays for the church. So he's thankful for the church and he prays for the church. Verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Do you you sort of, I mean, I didn't read that very well probably, but do you hear Paul's passion for the church in Rome? I mean, Paul has a passion for all of God's people and and, and he's directing it to this church in Rome. He says, for God is my witness. Paul uses that phrase to emphasize the truth uh, that what he's about to say, what is, what's, for God is my witness. What, if I were to say that, what, what I'm about to say, you might, not, you might have trouble believing, but I'm saying uh, God himself will testify to the truth of this. And don't forget who I am. Not me, Paul. Don't forget who Paul is. He's a servant. He's God's servant. Uh, he, he says, I fully serve with my spirit, uh, my heart, and my desires by proclaiming the good news of His Son. That's my mission, proclaiming it in such a way to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. And, and it, he said in verse 6, after he, after he gave his mission, he said that his mission is including you, church in Rome, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The church in Rome was part of Paul's mission. However... He couldn't, at this point in time, be with them. But he wants them to know, for God is his witness, and this is the difficult thing to possibly believe, that without ceasing, he mentions them always in his prayers. Paul's heart for the church in Rome drives him to prayer. And not just a one-time prayer, but a without-ceasing prayer which probably means, it may be more than this, but at least it means he thinks and he prays for them on a daily, on a regular basis. They're on his mind. They're on his heart. You know, he's the one that wrote in Thessalonians, uh, pray without ceasing. So he's praying for them in that way, without ceasing. Paul had this constant communion with the Lord and he was constantly bringing up the church in Rome. He has a heart for them. They're in his thoughts and his prayers, his heart, his love for the church is seen in this unceasing prayer for them. And the question I have for us is this. How often do we pray for our church? How often do you mention uh, Bridges or the people of Bridges, the leaders, the members of the church, do you, do you get the prayer request and do you pray for those things? Paul, Paul had never been to Rome. He didn't even know the, the Roman Christians. And yet he prays for them without ceasing. And what does that say to us about our prayer life for our church? Last Sunday, uh, we had a family forum. And uh, we had a good lunch together. We talked about, got some reports about what's happening. A little bit of past, looking to the future. But we spend a good amount of time praying, praying that our church, praying for our church, praying uh, for God's leadership, for His direction, for His blessing, that we might be a blessing to others. And at the end of the prayer time, I, I was as I was clo- wrapping up, I remembered I thought of Anthon and his family, and the fact that they were in London, and he had told me he was going to go visit the church of uh, Charles Spurgeon. If you're familiar with Spurgeon, he's very famous. Uh, British English preacher. 
And that reminded me of a story that I shared from memory during the family forum. But this week, I looked up the story as I prepared for this message, and it's even a little more dramatic than what I shared, and so I'm going to share it again. Uh, Five young college students were spending a Sunday in London, uh, so they went to hear the famed uh, preacher. He's a famous guy. I don't know, the Billy Graham of the day, whatever. Uh, They went to hear C.H. Spurgeon preach. While waiting for the doors to open, so they're there early, uh, the students were greeted by a man who asked, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of the church? They were not particularly interested in seeing the heating plant since it was a hot July day, but they didn't want to offend the stranger, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway, a door was quietly open, and their guide whispered, uh, this is the, our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw a large group of people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that, would soon, that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. It's well known that Spurgeon uh, credited the success of his ministry of, of the many that were saved, of the many that were uh, grown in Christ to the prayers of His people. And I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful that we have at Bridges uh, our own heating plant. Not a, not a large group of people, but a few people, led by Georgia back there, who are committed to come early on Sunday morning and pray for our church. But what would happen if, if that Sunday morning prayer time was more than a few people? Or, or if we as a church committed to pray daily for God's wisdom and God's guidance and God's blessing for bridges? How much more effective could, would our, our ministry to, to one another, to our community, to our world be if we would dedicate ourselves to prayer? And so I'd ask, ask not, you have not because you ask not, I'm asking. Uh, some of you who are able, who belong to Jesus Christ, would you consider joining with Georgia and others on a regular basis, coming a little bit early on Sunday morning, I think it's 8.30, sacrifice, oh sorry, to pray for this church, for this service, for our ministry in Riverside, for our missionaries around the world, would you consider that? And I would ask all of you, I know it's not possible for some, little kids, things in life, I would ask all of you though, because we're all able, would you consider making bridges part of your daily prayer time? I'm not saying pray unceasingly, I'm not asking you to go Paul, I'm just, one time in the day, would you pray for your church? And if you don't have a daily prayer time, it might be a good thing to start. And maybe the first thing on your prayer list would be Bridges Church. No, you can make that third. Pray for your wife, your kids. I'm okay with that first. Then pray for your church. Let us be a people committed to pray for God's work in and through this local church that we're part of. Now, I'm sure Paul prayed many things for the church in Rome. He, but he mentions one prayer specifically right here. 
One aspect of Paul's prayer for the Roman church is that he will be able to come to them. He's praying. Paul longs to be with the church. Verse 9, I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you for I long to see you. Paul wants them to know that, that his continual prayer is to come to them. His heart's desire is to be with his brothers and sisters in Rome. Now this is Paul. This is the guy that he's founded churches here and there. You know, if you read Galatia and Philippi and Corinth and those churches, he's all over the place. But he longs, he has a heart for this church in Rome. It was Paul. He understands the need for that, that, that we have for one another. It was Paul that first called the church coined the the metaphor, the body of Christ. Writing to the church in Corinth, he says, now you are the body of Christ, church, and individually members of it. Paul understood the importance of the church like 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 the human body, working together, ministering to one another. He understood that we all have a part to play in God's plan. And that if and if, if some don't do their part, then the body breaks down. It doesn't function as it should. So he says uh, in, to the Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. He goes on in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 to list some of the different members of the body of Christ. He begins with, and this is the one we'll talk about because this is him, and God has appointed in the church first apostles. Apostles, like Paul, were part of the body of Christ. Especially in the beginning, the early church. They were a gift from God to help establish uh, the, the foundations of the church through teaching and through writing uh, the, the, the New Testament. Paul was appointed by God and as, a, as an apostle. And as such, he considers it his responsibility, his job to see and to minister to the church in Rome. He longs to be with them. Why? He goes on in, in verses 11 through 15 to tell them why he longs to be with them. First, to strengthen the church. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. What Paul means by spiritual gift isn't, uh, it's sort of debated. It's not totally clear. He may be talking about praying for the members of the church uh, that they would receive certain spiritual gifts. He may be talking about one of his spiritual gifts, that he's going to, through his spiritual gifts, he's going to strengthen them. Or he may be referring to the the general spiritual blessing he hopes that will result from his coming to Rome. But in any case, the purpose for imparting the gifts, for the spiritual gifts, is to strengthen the church in Rome. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Paul wrote, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The, the, these gifts, these, these prophets and evangelists and shepherds, uh, to, to equip the saints and the, the ultimate purpose to build up the body of Christ. As an apostle, Paul was to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are not for us as individuals, but they're to equip, to build up, to strengthen the church. That word strengthen means uh, to make stable, so it, so it can stand firm. 
Have you ever, have you ever had a, a fence or something that was like becoming unstable? It was leaning this way, leaning that way. If a strong wind were to come, it would just fall right over. That was my fence a, a, a month or so ago. One of my fences in the backyard, I think it had eight wooden posts. Four of them had broken at the, at the base. And so, you know, the fence was kind of woo, woo, woo. My neighbor had come, hey, what are we going to do about this? It was close to collapsing. But before it did, my son, Michael, and my son-in-law came to the rescue. This was actually my Christmas gift from them. They didn't do it out of the goodness. No, it was the goodness of their heart. They went out and they bought four new posts. They bought some concrete. They took down the parts of the fence that needed repair. They removed the old posts, the old concrete. They poured new concrete, put in the new posts. Put it all back together and now my fence, you can't move it. It's solid, it's strengthened. My fence is going to stand against uh, most winds probably. And that's really the same thing the Apostle wanted for the church in Rome. He wanted to equip them to be stable. That they could stand firm against winds of, of personal temptation. Winds of external persecution. Winds of internal, maybe within the church, problems. Heresy that's coming out. Paul wants to go to them and he wants to strengthen them. And you know, this applies to us as well. As members of the body of Christ, as members of, of this church, we're not apostles. Unlike Paul, we're not uh, involved in laying the foundations of the early church. We're not writing the New Testament. But we are still called as members of the body of Christ, the church, to strengthen one another. To be involved in one another's lives. We're, we're, we're to use the spiritual gifts that God has given us for the strengthening of the body of Christ. We'll talk more about spiritual gifts when we, in I don't know how many years, get to Romans chapter 12, where Paul lists a number of gifts. He talks about the gifts there. But for now, if you think about your gifts, and maybe you don't even know what they are, but whether your gift evangelism or prophecy or shepherding or teaching or, or giving or serving or Helping, exhorting, leading, showing mercy, whatever, whatever else giftedness God has given you, know this. God desires that you use your gifts for the purpose of strengthening His body, the church. We all should be asking ourselves uh, as, we, as we think about, okay, this is what I can do. This is what I, God's given me to do. How am I using how can I use my gifts to strengthen the church? So first, Paul longed to, to go to Rome that, that he might strengthen the church. He was going to give himself to the church. He, was gonna, he longed to serve them. But he also longed to receive from the church. Paul longed to, to be with the church at, so that they could mutually encourage one another to mutually encourage the church. Verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul isn't saying, hey, I'm, I'm the Apostle Paul. And when I come, I'll teach and I'll strengthen you and, and you'll sit back and you'll receive. You know, you'll just bask in my glory. 
And this is the Apostle Paul. If anybody is glory basketworthy, it's him. He understands, though, that the church is a, a mutual experience. That yes, they will be encouraged uh, by him. They'll be strengthened by him. There will be, but, but he will also be encouraged by them. There will be mutual encouragement as they share in each other's faith. That word encouraged means more than just saying to one another, hey, you're awesome, you're doing a good job, pat on the back. Uh, it means to comfort together. It involves getting involved in people's lives, really. Comforting or strengthening with others. The picture is that, is that Paul's coming to Rome and, and, sh- and he's going to share his faith with them. And, and by, sometimes when we say we're going to share our faith, we mean we're going to say, Jesus died on the cross for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Would you like to pray to receive him? And, and that's, that's a, it's, it's more than that, but you, you, know, you get my point. But that's not what he means here. That word faith means assurance, uh, a belief of conviction, of truth. Paul would share with them his assurance, his convictions, his, the truth of the, of the gospel. The, he would tell them more about who Jesus was. He would explain to them what Jesus had done in his life. He would share how God had been working in and through him. And they'd do the same for him. He'd hear stories about why their faith was being proclaimed in the whole world, and he would, his, his, his faith would be bolstered. They would tell him of God's work in the church in Rome, and, and as they shared the truth of God's Word in and through their lives, both Paul and the Roman believers would be encouraged, comforted together. Isn't that what we want to be about as a church? Encouraging comforting one another, by, by sharing our faith experiences, uh, uh, what God is doing in our doing has done in our lives together. You know, but to do that, we need to be involved in one another's lives, right? We, we must be the body of Christ. You know, bodies tend to be, you know, unless you're, things are falling off of you, maybe my hair, but bodies tend to be connected, right? That's how they work together. The hip bone's connected to the whatever bone. I don't know, you know. Is it the leg? I don't know. It's just sitting, my hip's just sitting out. Well, anyway. We're joined together. We must spend time with one another. We must pray for, worship with, study with one another. We must be the church. And the question I want to leave you with today is this. Do you long to be part of God's church? And you know, I'll say this, I didn't write this in my notes, so I'll say it. If, if you're here, and uh, I would call for you, I'd ask for you, I'd love for you, be committed to this church. But if, like, okay, I don't really like you people, well, find some place you can be committed to, you know? And if you can't find any place, you might want to think about uh, looking internally. Anyway, we won't go there. But find some place uh, that you long to be part of. Coming together to be strengthened and to strengthen others. Looking for opportunities to encourage and be encouraged by one another. Using your gifts. Using your time. Your resources. For the building up of the body of Christ. So that God's name will be glorified in Riverside and and among the nations. If that's your desire, then I'd call upon you to act. Do something. Faith without works is dead. To first, maybe first, back to prayer, to first seek the Lord, 
Lord, how do you want me to be involved in this church, in your church? Commit yourself to being fully engaged in the life of His church. To make God's church, specifically the local church you attend, a priority in your life. And if you need help, you're going, well, I don't know what to do. If you need help, that's what I get paid for. You know, you don't, I mean, I get paid to do this too, I guess. But I like to do this. Well, I like, never mind, sorry. This is what happens when I start ad-libbing, I get in trouble. Anyway, that's what, uh, if you need direction and how to do that, how to engage, I'm available. And the elders who also have other full-time jobs, they're available too to help and staff. We'd love to meet with you and to help you discover together how God wants to use you to strengthen and encourage His church. Hear your ideas. Respond. Understand. Grow together. Give some direction. That we might be the church. That we might, that our faith might be proclaimed uh, throughout the world for the glory of God. And so, uh, that's all I have. Uh, it will continue next week, starting in verse 13, where he's going to sort of talk about so uh, the gospel a little more and the, the responsibility of, of the gospel. But I'd just like to ask maybe, uh, maybe, maybe if one or two of the elders or if, if anybody would like to stand and just pray, pray even now for, for our church, that we, would, uh, that we would sense that and that we too would have a heart for this church, not for our glory, not for this church's glory, but for the glory of God. Would uh, a couple folks just pray for that and I'll close.